Welcome to Orange, you glad we watched the OC, where it is both the fuck aroundiest of times and the find outiest of times. Evan. I would also say, welcome to Orange, you glad we watched the OC, where we can always pull off a tank top. <laughs> Ooh. Hi, Sarah. Ooh, someone's workshop and intros. <laughs> Ooh, someone's feeling his lobster roll. <laughs> Ooh, someone is, what did they say? Someone is getting to know their enemy. (laughs) A lot happens in this episode, Evan. Why don't you tell me about it? Have we been introducing each other? Is that something we're supposed to be doing? Oh, yeah. I'm Evan, and this is Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) And this, we're discussing... My pronouns are any, all, and your pronouns are... Uh, She, her? Is that what you're doing these days? Tank top, no tank top. <laughs> oh my god. You're you're Sarah, and I'm your husband, Evan. Yep. And, and the whole gist of this show is what? We are discussing, dissecting, and disseminating. I absolutely stole that from the uh, dr- Drag Race recap <laughs> show with Alaska and Willem. Please don't sue me. The seminal 2000s series the oc which i have never seen before i have never oc before <laughs> and you've seen how many times a couple okay at least yeah okay so let's 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 uh jump right in this episode is called the outsider it is episode five of season one last time on the oc was cotillion right was it was it it feels like a month ago. It was. What was the name of that episode? The Cotillion? The, no. The, the Gamble was before that. The Challenger? I don't, they're all the something. They're all the... This we'll is see. starting out great. Let's dive into <laughs> let's, the Let's dive into the four Steve roundup. <laughs> Hi, Steve. This is for you. Yeah, a lot happens in this episode. But this is the trend of this fucking show. A lot happens in every fucking episode. There's not an episode where very little happens, and that's fine. It's a roller coaster ride, this show. Look, no one had Adderall in the early 2000s, and they just needed to keep your attention. I suppose there was a lot that was happening in 2003, wasn't there? Mm-hmm. Were we dealing with Bush in 2003? Yes. Yeah, okay. We were also kind of at the decline of the uh, supremacy of MTV, I think. So, honestly, that probably did go into a lot of their directing decisions and plot decisions and things like that. Does it make us more relatable? Okay, we're back. I've blown my nose. Um <laughs> So, Steve, what happens in this episode? We um, Maybe I won't go, like, frame by frame. We'll go story beat by story beat, right? Um, we start out in teen land. Yeah, lobster. Uh, the boys are eating lobster. Seth first and Ryan. First, we're setting up them frolicking on the boardwalk and being wholesome teens. That's right. With the skateboarding and the biking and the whatnot and the hoo-ha. And that's when Seth says, is that a new shirt? 
right? <laughs> yes. Seth, Seth and his enormous torso are looking at Ryan and they're like, is that a new shirt? And Ryan's like, yeah, your mom keeps buying me clothes because evidently the fact that I'm an orphaned waif and have nothing to my name makes her feel guilty and she needs to buy me stuff and they keep buying me stuff. And Seth is like, let's go eat lobster. But first he says... Oh. <laughs> we all know you get a lot of mileage out of a tank top. The show is very rapidly trying to become self-aware in a way that I'm not sure it's earned in the first five episodes, but here we are. He also asks, do you think I could get away with the wife beater? To which Ryan just sort of, you know, makes a face. He makes the Ryan face. The Ryan face. Which, how would you describe the Ryan face to Steve? I have in my notes, Ben McKenzie's contribution to the world of acting in this episode seems to just kind of be flicking his eyes sideways <laughs> at his scene partner, but kind of like doing the, who's the actress who like put her chin down and then looked up? There's someone very famous for doing that, and I can't remember who it is. Um... It's an old-timey actress. Audrey Hepburn? Maybe. He's old-timey actressing. Catherine Hepburn? No, not Catherine Hepburn. Was it a Hepburn? No. Jimmy he Hepburn. Jimmy Hendrix. <laughs> Famous for looking for chin down, eyes up, very doe-eyed, very transcontinental accent. <laughs> I also have in my note, Seth, they do not make enough fabric in the world to cover your long ass fucking skeleton because no, no, it's still too long. What would be what would be the the problematic 20, 2003 nickname for a wife beater for a torso as long as Seth's? Like family Ooh. abuse? Like what? <laughs> well, oh, I have it. I have it. Um, Children's court. A <laughs> <laughs> it's a, a, a fundamentalist Mormon sect uh, is what that shirt is called when it's on his uh, on his torso. Very good. Um, yeah. Okay. So they go get some lobster like you do when you're two teen boys. <laughs> and uh, Seth is like, I got this, man. I, I know you have literally no, no money whatsoever because, again, you have no family or prospects and uh you know i uh, Oliver twist over here it was yeah for real i was like may i have some more please and seth is like more. like this show totally could have taken a hard turn into the talented mr ripley i think in this episode 100 mm. percent. yeah if it had a skosh more murder yeah. we almost get there too but anyway we'll get to that steve <laughs> so Seth is like, oh yeah, Seth's like, I'm feeling pretty flush with cash because I got a few extra sailing lessons this week. Like, he has a side gig, we're led to believe, of giving people sailing lessons? Yeah, this was already established. Okay. Don't you remember he was sitting at the table with the children whom he had given? That's right! And that was awkward, and I remember now. Okay. Yes. So that's evidently where Seth is getting his cash. So anyway, <laughs> because this show loves a freak coincidence... Uh, Seth is like, you know, it's okay, man. They're your guardians. They're supposed to buy everything for you. And Ryan, for some reason, is feeling guilty and is like, uh, I guess I should get a job. And then what should happen? But a waiter is like, I'm sick of this shit. I quit. And you can see him in the middle distance taking his towel and throwing it to the ground. And uh, Ryan's like, well, I guess this is a plot point. <laughs> 
So he gets a job. Is that is that opening credits then? That's opening credits. That's so here we are. Um, Do we open up then with Ryan just at the job? I think so. What's the guy's? What's his coworker's name? Donnie. Donnie will become an important part of this episode. So Donnie is you know the typical handsome character in this show. He's got big eyebrows and spiky hair. As um, we are an anti Seth household. There's a few minutes in this setup of this character where you go, oh, that's nice. Ryan is making a friend that's not Seth. Right. And of course, that becomes a point of contention pretty quickly. And we can tell what's going to happen. Donnie is giving Ryan the lowdown. Oh, and it's great. It's just wonderful. He's just dragging these fucking customers from Newport Beach to fucking filth. He's like taking Ryan aside and he's like, you see that? That's not even a real Prada bag. This bitch is getting his knockoff shit from Taiwan. And then he goes to a table. He's like, hey, ladies, uh, could I fill up your Poirot Nar? And uh, she's like, yes, thank you, Donald. And he takes, he takes Ryan aside and he's like, hey, you see that cunt? She's drunk all the fucking time off her fucking ass on Quaaludes. These bitches think they're eating caviar. We're just shitting on the plate. Evan, he's from Long Beach. He's not an extra in Goodfellas. What are you doing? (laughs) Oh, yeah. We're introduced to Donnie, especially as being from near Chino. Is it Long Beach? Yeah. Yeah. So game recognized game. Shout out Vince Staples, Long Beach. Uh, And Ryan's like, I'm from Chino. And uh, Donnie's like, <laughs> Donnie's like, eh, you mook, you're from my neck of the woods. Hey, what brings you all the way up here to Newport, you old fucker? And Ryan's like, eh, you know how it is. Oh my, God. my mom's left me for nothing, dead in the ditch. Like I was the baby Moses floating down a river in a basket. And now these pharaoh ass motherfuckers done picked me up and made me part of the kingdom. And, and Donnie's like, like, hey, you're gonna do a plague of locusts on these motherfuckers or what? We should go to a party and have some honeys. And this is at this point where Seth is like, <laughs> Hello, fellow kids. I'm also in the scene. I'm Seth Cohen. I'd like to hang out too because Ryan is my puppy dog. I need 100% fewer voices from you. <laughs> I need you to stop workshopping your one-man show. Evan on, does accents. This is going to be no, my real. This is not I your real. places for voice acting gigs. Absolutely not. No. So they, all the boys, decide to go to a party together. Uh, can I interject quickly? Yes, you can. So, Are you going to talk like... I, I promise okay. I'll do my own voice. All right, I thank promise you. I'll do my own voice. Thank you. I just want a, a super quick a note. It's made very clear by the acting and the direction that Seth, although he's trying to play it cool, is not necessarily hip to the idea of Ryan getting another friend. No. And it's both understandable and not understandable because... We are led to believe throughout everything that happens to Seth in the rest of the series. He's been very lonely for a very long time. So it is kind of a, you know, legitimate fear that a teenage person could have that he's going to get ditched for somebody cooler and from Long Beach. Yeah. 
who can relate to him more. Yep. Oh, yeah, because Seth is not unaware of the class divide and just sort of, you know, the... Um, not even the class divide, like the cultural divide. You know, the it's been a theme throughout the entire show so far, even though we're only on episode five, of people being from two different worlds. Right. Right. So, oh, that's right. Um, if you recall from last episode, Marissa is going through a lot because her dad, Jimmy, got socked in the face at Cotillion because he stole $4 million of people's money. She is capital G going capital T through capital I it. <laughs> and she and Summer are like, um, Summer's like, oh, it's not a big deal. Like, I've got my dad's credit card. What did I say about voices? Oh, shit. Sorry. <laughs> That's what Summer sounds like, though. I just can't help it. Okay, Summer's like, it's not a big deal. I've got my dad. What? I'm just doing my voice. This is what I sound like. I was yelling a, a lot yesterday. I just okay. I get I get heady. Sorry for policing your voice. And Keep I have going. a barometric headache. And I'm, de- I'm, de- I'm going through it right now, Sarah. I'm going through a lot. Right Are you now. also going through it? Capital tit. It is what <laughs> I'm going through. <laughs> so, Kawinky Dink, uh, it, uh, do they show up at the, do they show up, do the girls show up before the guys go to the party? Yes. Yes. That's where Marissa and Ryan, because Marissa, understandably, hasn't been talking to anybody because she's incredibly embarrassed and she's also sort of afraid of what's going to happen in her future, right? Um... So she and Ryan have a brief moment. Um, you know, she's like, "Oh, yeah, the the food here is really good." I'm gonna do some of these voices. I'm sorry. Okay, I just it's natural to me. And I'm gonna. So what I what I can promise you is I'll try and make the voices make sense for the characters. Okay. Okay. So then. Okay. <laughs> so then Ryan is like, "I am working oh here." <laughs> You saw it coming. I can't take you anywhere. You saw it coming a mile away. I, I give you an inch. It was really obvious oh that God. that was going to happen. It's super obvious that Ryan wants to have a moment with her because... He asks her out. Oh, yeah, that's right. He says, by the way, when I asked to hang out, I was I was asking you out. I you know, hope that was pretty obvious. And she was like, yeah, and we can do that. Um, so she invites him because she's going to be babysitting her sister. Oh, because that's the other conceit of this episode or the other story beat. There's three primary story beats, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, teen side of the world, mm-hmm. right? And all the drama therein. Um, dad side of the world and some stuff between Jimmy and Sandy. And to go for it. The rest of it is just folio Real Housewives episode. <laughs> the Real Housewives of Newport? The Real House. Uh, there is a Real Housewives of the OC. Are you shitting me? No. I shouldn't be fucking surprised. Um, but almost every other ep- for those of you who are unaware of the conceit of the Real Housewives universe, every other episode they take a trip to somewhere where they are forced to spend large amounts of time together and then somebody throws something or makes <laughs> a joke about someone else's income and without the throwing things that's essentially what happens here it's kind of a pressure cooker of julie kind of uh reaping the whirlwind of her husband's actions the finding out part 
of the fucking around. She's reaping what he sowed. Correct. Essentially. Correct. Right. But she is also reaping what she sowed because mm. she refused to have any part mm. in the financial decision making or know anything about what was going on. She very explicitly said, and this is gross. <laughs> My domain is the kitchen and the bedroom. <laughs> I fulfilled my side of the bargain. <laughs> Man. Yeah. Just wow. Yeah. 2003. Uh-huh. This is this is post post feminism. Yes. Where we're, we're fourth wave feminism. What wave are we in? Uh, we're I Gamergate feminism. What wave of ska are we in right now? <laughs> does this does this feminism focus more on harmonica or horns? <laughs> It's the backup dancer. It's the yes. Okay, excellent. Yes. So, um, uh, yes, because the ladies are on their trip, uh, Marissa is alone with her sister and babysitting. And Ryan's like, do you want to go on a date? And she's like, I can't. I'm babysitting. But you could come over. We'd have the house primarily to ourselves and I could make you mac and cheese. Which, again, if these were real horny teens, (laughs) there would be no mac and cheese even mentioned. It would be um, l- lip smacking n- uh, on their knees. I have no idea lips. where you're going. I'm trying to do like a portmanteau <laughs> rhyming Cockney slang. It's not going well. No, no. It's fine. So, Donnie is like, what are we doing after work? And Seth, Ryan's like, I've got plans. And Seth is like, I don't have plans or friends. I would like to do something. And Donnie's like, yeah, you seem like a cool guy. There's going to be a party down in Long Beach. And there's going to be mad honeys. I believe that is exactly what he says almost verbatim. Yes. He refers to women exclusively as honeys. Yes. Um, which I should really start adopting that. What do you think? Also get a pork pie hat. Yes. I have two of those and you know that. But. But that's that's fine. You haven't seen my closet in a while. Wear a pork pie hat. Yes. Okay. Good. Um, does Donnie wear a pork pie hat? No, he does not wear a pork pie what hat. Is, well, we're back on the ska thing, right? Yeah. It just those things seem like they go hand in hand. Pick it up. Pick it up. And also the um, swing revival. Are we in? Are we in third wave ska in two thousand three? I don't that know. That was more of a nineties thing. I thought. Yeah. Although there might be some interlope, interlap, overlap. When did Clueless come out? Because the thing that I associate the most with ska in that era is the boss tones playing someone's party or let's, prom. Let's look it up. Let's let's do this. This is great television. Um, <laughs> when did... That's not how you spell that. Did, fuck. Clueless come out. I guess I just could have said like IMDB Clueless and then it would have told me. 1995. 1995. Okay. So this might be the Ska Revival? Or not the Ska Revival, the Swing Revival, like you said. American Swing. Welcome to Orange, you glad we Googled things for the whole episode. (laughs) Where we Google things for the whole episode. Wow! Um, The Swing Revival evidently, according to Wikipedia, began in 1989 through the mid-90s. Fascinating. It is, and this is this is potentially a controversial opinion for me to have, but I'm going to go on record as saying the Squirrel Nut Zippers illegitimately got lumped in with the Swing Revival when they were so much more than that. 
Come at me, anybody who doesn't like the squirrel nut zippers. Come on the pod. (laughs) I will write an essay as to how you're wrong. So, uh, Ryan hears that Seth is going to be accompanying Donnie to Long Beach to, um, to quote unquote, Mac on Mad Honeys, at which point Ryan overhears this and like, and is like, oh, Seth is going to get murdered because I know these people because I'm from their part of town. I've got to tag along, if for no other reason than to stop him from getting killed. To which Seth says it's Long Beach, not Chechnya. And you know what's really sad? Mm-hmm. Is you could make that joke even today. Chechnya is just not doing super well, from what I understand. Welcome to Orange. You glad we watched the OC where we have relevant political opinions. <laughs> <laughs> So we're at this party, which is essentially the first Fast and Furious, (laughs) minus like a lineup of cars, and with the uncensored version of Let's Get It Started by the Black Eyed Peas, which was not called Let's Get It Started. No. When it first was was released. It was called something else. Something else. That we're not going to talk about. No. And you know what's almost a shame? Mm. Just speaking for myself, let's get it started in here makes so much more sense and isn't awful. You know? We could talk about it more later, but what do you... Right? Am I wrong? I am a person who has sort of had to reclaim that word for myself in my personal life. So for me... I'm just like, oh, this is dumb, but it doesn't really bother me. But I absolutely and thoroughly understand people who do. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for your input. You're welcome. The more you know. Is that overplayed? Do people do that too much? Probably. Sorry, everybody. This is what we're going to get our first comment about. I'll never apologize to Steve, though. (laughs) Steve knows what he did. Steve knows what he did. So they're at the party. Ryan said at the beginning, okay, we'll go for one hour. And then they get there and he says, 45 minutes. (laughs) Which is funny. That's solid comedy. Also, like, I don't know what we're led to believe about these mad honeys, but as they enter the party, did you see what happened? No. Two young women pass Seth and Ryan. Uh Uh-huh. And both of them are, like, grabbing Seth. Did you see that? I did not clock that. I must have had an almond in my teeth or something. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what we're led to believe about people in Long Beach, but evidently... Also, they're dancers. Yes! Oh my god, yes, 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 yes. Uh, yeah, talk about that. There's a, quote, dancer on, quote, a platform dancing in her, quote, underwear. So... There's a the the classism is really concerning and strange in this episode. Yeah. For me. Yeah. It's like we're also and this is actually probably well no, I might I don't know. I know literally nothing about the OC. I know nothing about Newport or any of the cities in California. Um but What do you think we researched? <laughs> Welcome to our deep dive breakdown of the socio-political geography of the OC. No. Um, it, le- it leads me to believe that this show does take a dim view of you know, people from Chino and Long Beach and other you know, areas nearby. Um, because 
Ryan appears to be the only, you know, like, quote unquote, good person to come out of those circumstances. And it's essentially because he is true of character or like pure of heart. I don't know. Like, what am I trying to say? He's like an orphan with a heart of gold. He is good at the maths. What's the trope that we're trying to do here? It's the, it's the, it's the, um, feel free to edit out all of these. (laughs) (laughs) Goodwill hunting. It's the goodwill hunting trope. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's perfect. It's not Ryan's fault. It's not Ryan's fault. The thing is, it's not Ryan's fault. (laughs) Like, none of this shit that happens to Ryan is Ryan's fault. And we'll get more into that as this fucking episode continues. Because I'm going to, I want everyone to know, I'm going to read all of Seth's actions in this episode with ill motivation. I'm going to read every single one of the choices he makes as duplicitous, and manipulative intentionally. I it could this first party it could be it could be read as Seth just wants to make a new friend and in fact that's even that's even textual. He says, "Hey, you know this is cool. I can hang out with Donnie and then we can all be friends." Cuz let's also note that Donnie is one of the few people who interact with Seth for the first time and do not react like he has leprosy. (laughs) Donnie is nice to him, just kind of out the gate and generally. So there was potential there if it wasn't turned into a very special episode. (laughs) Oh, perfectly put. And also... Going back to the classism, a lot of the divides are like self-policed by these characters, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. It's self-policed in both the adult world and the teen world. Yeah, it absolutely crosses the boundaries of age. Like, Ryan is very much like, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but there's another party that they go to <laughs> at the end because there's at minimum six parties per episode. Shit, do we have a party count? Is no. there literally a party every episode? Yes. I think there is so far. Yes. Every fight, if not multiple parties. Yes. So he's like, I don't belong here. Yes. Telling, and that's been reinforced Mm -hmm. by literally everyone telling him he doesn't belong here. So after a while, you start to believe it and you kind of keep to your own kind. And as the viewer, at least just speaking for myself, I'm like, yeah, oh my God, get out of there. Everyone (laughs) hates you. Like everyone wants nothing but to commit violence against you. Like just get, and, and the people that do seem to like you seem to either willfully or accidentally ignore that fact because they want to keep you around to your own detriment, like to, your, to, 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 to endanger Ryan's life by keeping him in these environments. Yeah. Like a little fucking pet. Again, we talked about it last episode and I think maybe even the episode before. I really do see Seth's relationship or his... Um, his characterization of Ryan as an attache, you know, so, uh, accessory. Like, an accessory. Thank you. An attache really is a shiffer robe, like a really handsome shiffer robe that he just did. You know, he, he drags around because he's pretty and he doesn't wear any chokers in this episode. Yeah. Does he wear any 
wrist cuffs in this episode? I didn't clock any wrist cuffs. We're gonna have to pay special attention to the gradual shifting of his wardrobe. Ah, that will have uh, thematic importance. Indeed. Potentially. Perhaps. His puppy dog eyes getting softer and softer (laughs) as this once wild animal gently cared for and maybe even subdued but Puts certainly on maybe a polo shirt domesticated <laughs> brought to heel welcome to the asmr <laughs> episode of orange you glad we watch the oc <laughs> I should stop editing out all my nose blowing then. No. (laughs) No one considers that ASMR. No one in the world. Okay. A snotty, mucusy recording. That's what that stands for, right? Sure. (laughs) Sorry, we're at the party. Okay, no, no, no. Backing, since we're talking about class, we got to back out from this party for a second and talk about the Luke of it all. Because I think the Luke and Marissa scene happens before they get to the party. Is that correct? The Luke and... Yes, because... Because Summer... Yes. Summer invited... Summer was like... I'm so sorry, Steve. Look, we're just kind of all over the place, okay? (laughs) What do you want? So... Summer invites Marissa to the restaurant, which, of course, is the restaurant that Ryan is working at. And Summer says, I wish we would have known he was working here because who did she invite but Luke? So we absolutely expect there to be a fisticuff situation again. That doesn't happen. It does not happen. What does happen? What does happen is Marissa wants to talk about her situation and uh, Luke is having none of it. What does he say? He's like, let's keep it free and easy breezy, baby. Beautiful cover girl. <laughs> that's, that's what he says. That what he says? That's what he says. <laughs> so Marissa is doing the flipping and the flopping <laughs> this episode. Yeah, she's still jonesing for Ryan, which is obvious. But the second that Ryan experiences a circumstance that is beyond his control Mm -hmm. she starts pining over her old pictures of luke like girl pick a struggle really essentially i think she's weighing who did and did not burn down a house (laughs) you know who who has and has not been investigated by the fbi oh wait that's his that's her that's her dad that's her dad (laughs) but also, both Luke and Ryan have the same police record as a result of the house burning situation. It's just one of them was rich enough to have expunged, probably. Yeah, but she's also probably like weighing like, who has a mom? You know, things like that. You know, who has a dad? Oh, man, Luke's got both of those things. You know, Luke does have both of those things. But does he need to be fixed? And can she save him? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. There's still any number of, I guess, we could Ross and Rachel this and be like, well, they weren't together. Because Luke makes out with a mad honey at at one point. I am making a face. What? Could we Ross and Rachel it and say, well, we weren't even together. We were on a break. How do I know that? You must have watched at least one episode of Friends. Is that just in the cultural zeitgeist? Uh huh. Okay. That's how I know that. Yeah. 
Anyway, I'm really jumping around here, Steve. Sorry about that. So now we can go back to the party, right? So we're at the party. They're only going to stay for, quote unquote, 45 minutes. But as with all things, so Ryan is on the phone with Marissa and is like, yeah, we're trying to get out of here. I've got to get Seth away from these dancers. She's like, dancers? What? Uh, Ryan's like, yeah, I'll be right there. Uh, Save me some mac and cheese. And she's like, fine. She's obviously not having it or she is upset. And that's understandable because it's pretty obvious he's ditching her. Right. Mm -hmm. So he goes to find Seth. Seth is uh, talking to some mad honeys who are trying to get a condo, something like that. Russian honeys who are trying to get a condo. I thought they were Latvian. Latvian? Are they Ukrainian? Something. Hungarian? They're from the Eastern Bloc. They have no speaking lines, (laughs) so we'll never know. Uh, They get to make a sad face when Ryan does a lot of glaring at Seth, and Seth even makes a note of that at one point. He's like, most of your dialogue in this show with me has been you glaring at me in this episode. <laughs> I just want you to know that. Right. Ryan's face says, hey, we got to go. And when they're about to leave, that's when we learn that something has happened to Seth. The Range Rover. Sandy's Range Rover. Sandy's Range Rover. Cut to commercial break. It's established before they get into the party that Seth is nervous about taking a Range Rover and he's like, Haha, I'll park it a block away from the party or something like that. But apparently that never happens. And the tagging that happens <laughs> is so 4,000% someone who has read several Los Angeles Times articles about gang activity <laughs> and never had their car broken into because it is all the same color of spray paint nothing is broken Mm -hmm. it's just kind of it's almost like an excel spreadsheet painted on (laughs) the windshield they're like yeah this tracks it's like it's like the tag says literally the word graffiti (laughs) (laughs) really yeah like wouldn't they just have broken in and stolen the car because like range rovers are good cars aren't they in the 2003s, they were very exceptional cars. Well, there you go. If I was a Long Beach teen, I wouldn't fucking spray paint it. I'd be like, this is a nice car. Let's take it and use it for ourselves. Let's at the very least break in and steal all the Death Cab for Cutie CDs that must be in the glove compartment. Why are there so many extraordinarily long polos in here? <laughs> oh my God, these polos are multiple feet long. <laughs> Why? This is like, does a slinky wear these? Like, what's happening here? Is the dog, did the dog from Toy Story play, wear these, these freaking polos? What's happening here from Long Beach? Okay. So commercial break, we cut back and it's obvious that the boys did not go to Marissa's because of what happened to the car. Right. So they exit that party and now we're on Jimmy who I have written down is a tiny baby man child because he does not want to accept anything as far as consequences for what he has done with people's money. Are they playing golf at this point or are they just talking? No. Okay. Yeah. There's actually what I think some really, some really interesting character growth in this episode. Uh huh. In the previous four episodes, it's been made pretty clear 
that Sandy has some, would you say insecurities about uh, Kirsten's, Kristen or Kirsten? Kirsten. Kirsten, Karsten, Carson Daly. One of these days you're going to remember that pronunciation (laughs) and on that day I will bake you a cake. So (laughs) Sandy has reservations about the relationship between Jimmy Eat World and Crust Punk. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no it's I'm so sorry it's fairly finally like explicitly spelled out in this episode that really the only reason that julie and jimmy are together is because she got pregnant yeah in her words what did she say on the trip my getting knocked up she said to kirsten my getting knocked up was the, been best the best thing, thing that happened to, to you yep yeah so right it's 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 implied that perhaps Kirsten and Jimmy were on a break or something. Jimmy got Julie pregnant and quote unquote from the episode did the honorable thing. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah. Okay. Um, and in what is an extremely awkward transition from commercial, uh, Sandy comes upon, uh, no, no, it's an, it's an awkward transition from one scene to another. Sandy comes upon Jimmy. He like it's so obvious that what's his name? What's his name with the eyebrows? Who's the actor that plays Sandy? Peter Gallagher. So Peter Gallagher was in the car like a foot and a half back, and they were like, action! And he like puts the car in neutral and it scooches forward a few feet. <laughs> and he's like, Hey Jimmy, I couldn't help but notice you walking there. With your dog. <laughs> and he's like, Can can we talk? And Jimmy's like, Well, you're gonna be my lawyer? Uh, don't you hate my ass? Um, <laughs> Sandy's like, I hate a lot of people's asses. I'm a fucking lawyer. I don't get a, I don't get a choice. I gotta help people out. I have the exact. I'm a public defender. That means I represent a lot of people that I don't like. Wop wop wop. But I'm bumping the shade. <laughs> but it's kind of great because in this episode, the boys get a chance to actually interact with each other. They had a chance to really kind of connect in a deeper way. Not, I mean, not like super deep. By boys, you mean men. Yes, yeah, sorry. The boys have been like golfing in this episode. There's a lovely moment where um, they've been working really hard on the case, right? On Jimmy's case. Uh, Sandy has a friend who does securities or, or what, what kind of law? Security law. Yeah. Um, Because Sandy usually, you know, uh, deals with orphaned waifs and weevils and stuff like that (laughs) that are getting into trouble. You know, Jimmy isn't necessarily his wheelhouse, but he knows enough and he's got enough friends that are sort of uh, in the know that he's trying to represent him as best he can. So whose house are they at? They're at Sandy's house, right? Yeah. Uh, They've been working really hard. Because Kirsten is on the girls trip. Yeah. Uh, and the boys are fucking off and, like, getting into fucking gunfights and shit like that. Uh-huh. Hey, hey, we haven't talked about the gun yet. We'll get there. We'll get there. It's barely Chekhov's gun. But anyway, it's Chekhov within the first... But it doesn't matter. So, um... Steve, did you know there was a gun before this point? So, <laughs> the boys are working on the case, and they're like, oh, man, you know, we should really take a break. Uh, and they were like, ah, oh, well, you know, since the wives are away, let's do some boy stuff. So they buy some beers, they eat some meat, and there's a great moment where they're playing Dynasty Warriors. (laughs) Which is like, I'm pretty sure Dynasty Warriors is actually like the Greek chorus. (laughs) 
That when when two male characters are playing Dynasty Warriors together, it means they are best friends. Yeah, it means like it means that that's they're they're starting to connect on a deeper level. The little anime eyes kind of, they get into chibi. <laughs> there are little stars that Jimmy circle. Jimmy <laughs> Exactly. I'm so sorry. I should probably cut all of that out. That was really bad. Also, they do not um, identify the type of beer that they purchase. It says cerveza because Rolling Rock makes it the second. There's going to be a Rolling Rock count now. It says cerveza, but I love that it says cerveza in the font um, in the font of Corona. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's so fucking funny. <laughs> I like, and what does Sandy say? He's like, I haven't had beer in the house in years. I'm so sick of Chardonnay. <laughs> I can do bits too. You're so good at it. <laughs> While his eyebrows are like flicking into the drink. <laughs> like a monkey's tail. Just like tasting it. <laughs> he drinks through his eyebrows. You taste with all of your senses. <laughs> Including your eyebrow sense. I absorb most of my nutrients through my eyebrows. Because I'm from New Jersey. That's how most everybody does He's it. from the Bronx. Sorry. Evan, have you not been paying attention? No! <laughs> so, they are... Um, we can just jump to the to the, the to the most difficult part of their sort of arc in this episode. It's when they're golfing. Yep. They're starting to form a relationship. Sandy says, uh, or at least, you know, uh, oh, that's right. When they were when they were having beers, uh, they were talking. Cervezas. They were talking about their um, the, the, the best years of their life. You know, and Jimmy's like, ah, I wish I was just 16 again. And Sandy's like, I wish I was 22 again. And Jimmy's like, why 22? That's because uh, Sandy says it's when I met Kirsten. And he goes, why 16? And there's a lovely little awkward pause and everyone knows what's going to come. And then he says. Jimmy says. That's the year I met Kirsten. Dun, dun, dun. dun, dun, dun. I'm just going to say it. Gladys girl. Get a life. <laughs> I'm sorry. Kirsten is not all that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> she is neither all that nor a bag, bag of, of chips. chips. <laughs> For real. Like, you know, we're not going to start and start start hating on Kirsten because Seth is still here and deserves so much more hate. And also, we this isn't like a comment on her physical appearance. No, of course not. It's just like. She's just kind of basic rich white lady. Yeah, honestly. I mean, I, there's nothing, there's, you know, maybe she was something different to these characters in their youth. You know, we're, we're, we're led to believe that there's a lot of history that we, we don't know about. Yeah, Sandy has alluded a couple of, maybe just the one episode, he was like, you used to have ideals and you used to you know, be willing to go, I don't know, follow the Grateful Dead or, or something <laughs> or the Dave Matthews Band with me. You used to like anal. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really sorry. Oh, my God. I'm really sorry. <laughs> but yeah, right. Yeah, they've they've alluded to their youth, you know, mm -hmm. and the, the things that they used to find exciting about each other. Um they do probably have a little bit of intercourse in this episode, though, we are led to believe. 
What happens there? How do we lead up to that? He comes home. She comes home. What happens? There's a beer. There's, oh, that's right. That's later in the episode. That's at the very end. Yeah. Where the husbands and wives have, have moments with each other. Um, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So let's jump back in time a little bit to the to the the golf course that's what we were talking about the uh-huh. golf course because we're talking about the boys the grown men boys uh, the boys to men the da- <laughs> the dads although we've come to the end of the road yeah. <laughs> still I can't file for bankruptcy <laughs> thank you so they're really good really good <laughs> Um, so you're going to have to sing that at some point just, you know, if we're going to start doing singing things, if we feel like it, no pressure, no pressure, uh, right into the pod. We don't have an email address. So, um, so they're golfing and Sandy's like, Hey, you know, my guy got back to me. You've got two options. Essentially. Uh, we can, we can keep you out of prison, but you've got to liquidate all your assets You've got to essentially, what did he say? You've got to get solvent or something like that, uh-huh. right? Uh, which means he has to he has to drum up the five, the four million that he stole, right? And that will keep him out of prison. But he will have to start over with nothing. He'll have to sell the house. Mm-hmm. He'll have to sell all of his shares of all of his things that he has. He won't be able to deal in securities anymore. No ponies will get alopecia medicine. No ponies. Period. Probably right. And it's really funny. There's a wonderful telling moment where uh, Sandy's like, you'll have to sell the house, but you won't be in prison. Uh, And, you know, at least you'll still have, you'll still have Julie. You'll still have the girls. And he's like, you think I'm going to have Julie? Yeah. What is it? You know, Sandy's like, Julie loves you and she'll stay with you even if you have to get rid of the house. And I think Jimmy says something like, who are we talking about right now? And the whole viewing audience is like, who the fuck are you talking about right now? Yeah. Because little does Jimmy know Julie has been on vacation with the with her girlfriends this entire time. With the Goyles. And they are essentially like, so you're divorcing him, right? And she's like, fuck yeah, I'm divorcing him. Are you shitting me? Everybody except Kirsten is like, you're fucking divorcing him, right? Right. And that makes it awkward because Kirsten is the only one coming to Jimmy's defense in a very ham-fisted way that makes us cognizant of the feelings that they, she used to have for Jimmy and Julie clocks this immediately. Well, it doesn't help that at one point Kirsten uh, calls home. She calls home when the boys are having their cervezas and reading their red meat. And because, <laughs> because Sandy is at the grill, he's like, I obviously can't answer my own phone. Well, look at me. I'm grilling here. What am I supposed to do? Stop mid grilling. What am I supposed to do? Take this spatula and hand it to another person who's a grown man and could also grill and answer my own fucking phone because I live here and own the house? No, I'm not going to do that. What do I look like, an animal? You answer my phone in my house, Jimmy, who's a house guest and doesn't live here. I'm going to keep grilling because that's the obvious thing that a man would do. Jimmy's like, okay, I guess I'll go answer your phone. You're making a lot out of this very small interaction. I'm sorry. It was a really, like, really, guys? He's, he's like, I, honestly, I can't I can't leave the grill now. What, I'm going to leave it now and it's time of need? You answer my phone, Jimmy. Jimmy goes to answer the phone. Of course, it's Kirsten. She's like, Jimmy? They talk. What? I don't even know what the fuck they're talking about. She's like, how's it going? He's like, I don't know. Blah, 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 blah. But then when they say goodbye, hey, hey, Sarah. Yes, Evan. When we are talking on the phone, 
when we're not in the same room and we hang up with each other, do you say, okay, I'll talk to you later, Evan? Do you say that? We do the um, good wife method of hanging up, which is not saying any kind of uh, good greeting. Wrong. We both say bye. (laughs) That's what we fucking say. We do. I don't say bye, Sarah. The person I'm talking to is Sarah. That's not what the fuck I say. What does Kirsten say when she hangs up on fucking Jimmy? Okay, I'll talk to you later. Jimmy. Jimmy, who's on the other end of the phone, Jimmy. Jimmy, this person to whom I am speaking on a phone. What's Jimmy's last name? Marissa Cooper. Cooper. Yep. Goodbye, Jimmy Cooper. Goodbye, Jimmy, middle name Cooper. My name is Kirsten. Goodbye, Jimmy Cooper. (laughs) And of course, fucking Julie Cooper is just in the middle distance. And she's like, oh, how's Jimmy doing? (laughs) Cunt. And walks away. (laughs) There is some real fucking tension on this girl's trip. Can I just fucking say? It seems like everyone is goddamn miserable the whole fucking time. Again, I'm going to put together a syllabus of Housewives episodes. Where they basically... (laughs) This is like the blueprint for every Housewives interaction that has ever been. (laughs) You will be miserable. (laughs) It will be... A special Patreon bonus episode. Just kidding. We don't have a Patreon. Look for it. We don't have an email address or a Patreon. Don't give us money. We have no Twitter. We have no presence. We do have a Twitter. We do? We do. Oh, schnit. Don't DM us. Don't DM us. So, what the fuck was that? Do not behold us. (laughs) Just stay in Belgium and listen to the pod and (laughs) please rate us five stars. So... They're having a terrible shitty time because Julie's like, I'm absolutely divorcing his ass. Uh, Jimmy's like, she's going to fucking divorce my ass. He's 100% right. Julie's a terrible person. Kirsten is the only one calling her out on it. Uh, And the kids are getting into some trouble. Mm -hmm. So, But before we get into the kids, real, real quick. Yeah, do it. Do you think that Kirsten's motivation for keeping trying to keep julie and jimmy together are selfish or altruistic because if the two of them break up and he is a single swinging bachelor dude this could threaten her marriage with sandy do you think she's honestly that into jimmy that she would in any way jeopardize her relationship with Sandy? I don't know. I think some kernels have been sprinkled in that direction. She's very into Jimmy. I don't know. I think I think whatever lingering emotions from their history that she's harboring for Jimmy are more friendly than they are romantic. I think she cares think? for him. I think she cares for him. But I wouldn't necessarily think she is in love with him. But I think she loves him like a, like a good, close friend, yeah. you know? And I think that's her primary concern is that she knows, she knows Jimmy loves Julie, you know? Yeah. Because he really does. I really honestly believe that Jimmy does love Julie. I believe he loves his kids. It's very, it's, it's, it's one of his lines is, you know, when it's becoming apparent that his life is going to dramatically change, you know, he wants his old life back because it's great. It was great. You know, uh-huh. he really liked what he had. And now because of the consequences of his actions, that world that existed for him, that relationship he had with the people in his family now will be forever altered. 
I have nothing underscore dreamgirls dot mp3. Yeah, to finish my thought, I do think that Kirsten's motivation for keeping Julie and Jimmy together is not any special love for Julie, but instead uh, wanting her friend to be happy and knowing that uh, he loves his wife. Yes. Good. Okay. Scene. Cool. End of podcast. End of podcast. California. No, wait, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so have we talked at all about the second party? (laughs) Not yet. And I want to talk about this in particular because fucking Seth. God damn it. I already said that I'm going to interpret all of his actions as being completely malicious. Um, Right in the beginning, we are led to believe that he wants to introduce himself into Ryan and Donnie's relationship because he wants them all to be friends. Uh Uh-huh. Enter the second party. So Seth does ostensibly a nice thing. He knows that he fucked up Ryan and Marissa's date, right? By going to the party, the first party, mm-hmm. and taking Ryan along with him. And then the thing happened to the car and they couldn't go to Marissa. So. I do have in my notes, is this the first unselfish thing that Seth has done? This thing we're about to discuss. Yeah. He goes to Marissa's house. He also, more and more, his actions are making a case for him being a half snake person. He already has an exceedingly long torso, which could be like a coiled boa constrict. He's a naga. I think he's a naga. He's a half snake, half human mythical creature because this will be the second time he shows up at Marissa's house and perfectly silently comes upon her. Um, The first time was when Summer was topless, right? Oh, that happens this episode also. So he like slithers up to Marissa and she's like oh Jesus Christ where the fuck did you come from and he's like sorry Melissa Melissa Mariska Hargitay oh my god and uh she's like the fuck do you want and he's like okay look I'm gonna be honest with you your date with Ryan was ruined because I did a stupid thing and I want can you give him another chance yeah I want to make it up to him will you go on another date with him he'll he's a real good cook he will cook for you Okay, cool. Yeah. Is it an unselfish thing? What do you think? How do you read that? I think it's pretty genuine um, because I think in certain circumstances, Seth is probably capable of self-reflection and feeling bad. But, but, but then he goes back to Ryan to report on his progress or his conversation and he I'm going to cut you off so cutting you off (laughs) cutting you off I'm going to push back on your interpretation of his actions okay okay you ready Mm -hmm. Seth we all know likes Ryan and as much as we've talked about this Ryan gives him social cachet Ryan is cool Ryan is a nice new little toy an iguana, if you will, as I keep referring to him. Ryan is Seth's iguana, his pet iguana that he wants to have control over, that he wants to himself because he's cool. He plays Dynasty Warriors with him, and so far he hasn't made a fun of his freakishly long torso. So <laughs> my interpretation of his actions with Marissa, Mariska? 
Mar- Marissa. Marissa, thank you. Jesus Christ. Is <laughs> he doesn't give a shit about their relationship. Although he has actually, he's tried to set them up a number of times. I just, I, it goes back to my rebel without a cause theory. Mm-hmm. The, they were the three core players mm-hmm. in that episode where they were trying to get him established in a house with no running water. But that was, we, that is well trod territory in that episode. Listeners refer to episode two, <laughs> the model home. <laughs> <laughs> but I think maybe he's just trying to keep the family together. This is, oh, see, this even works better for my, for my, for my interpretation of his nefarious plot. This is my, this is my, um, my conspiracy theory. You ready? Okay. Um, Seth is pathologically controlling Ryan And he's doing that because he wants to keep him to himself. Marissa's the perfect love interest because of her geographic location. She lives next door to. Yeah, here, I'm going to follow it through. I'm going to follow it through. I'm going to follow it through. So he goes and he says, Will you date Ryan? And that's only because he wants them to be together, but also because he recognizes Ryan might be a little upset with him because it was Seth's actions that uh, forced Ryan to miss his original date with Marissa. So he's like, I need these two to get together because then I will have greater control over Ryan because he will be within spitting distance of me. Even if he is at Marissa's house, I can still sort of lord over him and insert myself into their triad like sort of like a... Uh, what's his name? Boxy Malone. Um, Smack Gunderson. Who is the guy that made out with, what's his name, that died in the spider that was in... James Dean? Sal Minio? Sal Minio. He wants to be the Sal Minio to Ryan's James Dean, right? Uh-huh. Um, and so that is how I am interpreting what on the exterior could look like an actual genuine gesture, but was nothing more than a continuation of his Machiavellian ploy to keep Ryan in his little toy in his back pocket where he can take it out and play with it. You have spent too much time on Tumblr. (laughs) I am... I am team not Seth as much as the guy sitting next to me, (laughs) who is you. But I'm also a neutral party... And if Seth does something either good or neutral, I will acknowledge that. And I think that sex, Seth, sex, sexes, <laughs> actions in this scenario are benign. All right. So there. So he goes to Ryan's job and is like, hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. Um, <laughs> I'm a pimp. That's what he says. Yeah. yeah. That's Dramatic I, pause. That's for what our, I started <laughs> to say before you cut me off. Dramatic. And in my nose, in my nose, it says Dramatic. Seth called himself the friendly neighborhood pimp. And you, Evan, and I were both the ASCII guy flipping tables. <laughs> I believe we paused it and went, hang on a second. Did he just say what we think he just said? This is not a politically correct episode. No, you guys. no, no. About uh, uh, Bauhaus boys and pimping um, included. Not Bauhaus boys. And honeys. Dreamhouse boys. What's the band that did Let's Get It Started in here? Black Eyed Peas? Who am I thinking of? Who, Who let the dogs out? <laughs> is that the Bauhaus boys? I don't know. 
listeners write in and tell us who Hang on. I'll look it up on Google or DuckDuckGo. (laughs) Install Firefox, please. Stop using Chrome. Stop using browsers that use the Chrome engine and download Firefox. It's great. You can move all of your all of your bookmarks super easily. Please get uBlock Origin. It's free. Um, they also have a VPN, but I think you have to pay for it. But it's probably inexpensive. You can also have Bing. <laughs> no! Shout out Nick Weiger. No! Firefox! <laughs> yeah, yeah. DuckDuckGo and Firefox. That's that's the combination everybody should be using. What am I looking up? You're Who let looking the dogs up. out? You, you talk about the, the party. I believe it's the Baja men. Now that I have been forced to think about Who this. let <laughs> the dogs out? Okay, so... Party number two. Oh, no, sorry. He goes to tell Ryan he did, he's a pimp. Start at the restaurant. He tells Ryan he's a pimp. It is the Baja men. Good job. And that he has set up this date number two with Ryan and Marissa. And what do I have? Put a sock on the door, Put he says. a sock. Wear a sock on your cock, he says. <laughs> he says, wear a raincoat, Gavna, so you don't get a pregas. And then he puts a newsboy cap on and he buckles his knickerbockers below the knee. And soft shoes out of the seat. <laughs> I wish he would have done that. Instead, Donnie is like, hey, little man, what are we up to tonight? What trouble we getting into, buddy? A buddy boy! Yabba dabba doo! And Seth is like, ah, you know, there's just a, well, there's just a Newport kid party. It's the Ridge Cans. But he also mentions um, tickets to a That's IMAX fine. showing of a shark movie. Yeah. And we're led to believe that this is something that not cool people would go to. Yeah, because Donnie's like, a shark movie? What are you, eight? And I'm like, I want to go see an IMAX shark movie. I also would see an IMAX shark movie. That would be great. Yes. A free IMAX shark movie? But You'll also probably buy me popcorn. But no, we end up at party number two. Party number two. This one is in Newport. It is. And so Seth says something along the lines of, oh yeah, because Ryan... <laughs> Ryan appears like fucking Hamlet's father behind fucking Seth. <laughs> when Seth turns around and Ryan's got, he's again, he's mean mugging at him. And Seth is like, you just keep making that Muppet face at me like an angry Kermit the Frog. <laughs> Everything's going to be fine. You get st- you get that upper lip. <laughs> Ryan looks like, Ryan looks like the aliens from Sesame Street. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. His bottom lip is like curling over his face. He's so upset. <laughs> with Seth because he knows some shit is going to happen because he knows what kind of person Donnie is. We as the audience are still pretty sure that we think Donnie is mostly harmless. Would you say that? Yeah. And in fact, we have not been shown anything that would lead us to believe that Ryan has proof that Donnie is a bad guy other than the classism. Yeah. The zip code that he comes from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's from, he's from the wrong side of town. Yes. Right? Yeah, we're led to believe, at this point at least, that Donnie is a mostly harmless Goomba who just wants to have a good time and mack he's on Mad mook. Honeys. He wants, to ma- he wants to mack on Mad Honeys. Mad Honeys. And honestly, you know, when you're 16, who doesn't want to mack on Mad Honeys? Who among us? You <laughs> have not macked. On the Mad Honeys. <laughs> Mad's honey? Apologies to our ace people. Yes, indeed, you know. Well, I mean, hey, I would absolutely, um, I'd, 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 I'd ace some, 
I don't know what I was going to say there. Yes, and probably best that you stop. (laughs) So we're at this Newport party. Yep. It is in the same house as all of the other parties is it summer's house i'm assuming it's no it's holly's holly's beach house house. yes okay all the who's who are there summer is there is that holly that makes out with luke i possibly blonde number five i have her in my notes as farrah fawcett (laughs) her hair is so feathered yeah i noticed it's so feathered yeah it moves with her head in an extremely unnatural way yeah and I noted that she exhibits some of the... Li- I was trying to be diplomatic in my note. Um, she exhibits no some No diplomacy of- on this show. She's a very bad actress. <laughs> <laughs> it's like someone told her to look at a Marilyn Monroe movie. Yes! And then, like, be sexy, but she's also a virgin. She... She said she, she does everything besides Sega. Come up and see me sometime. Like, it is so over the top. It's very bad. She it's comes very, like, walk two steps and look over your shoulder. <laughs> she she talks to Luke and, like, she devours Luke, like, with her eyes and her midriff. And she's uh-huh. like, oh, these low-rise skirts. I can barely feel anything beneath my navel. <laughs> Is Marissa here? Oh, that's too bad. Do you need help? I think that's what she said. These are the actual. And I love that she never <laughs> doesn't wait for an answer. She goes, are you okay? And then like, like coyly plays with his nipple through his shirt or something. I know it's probably not that. That would be a little explicit even for the CW or whatever this was airing on in the originally. Fox. WB. Fox. Fox. And then, yeah, she she saunters away. Yeah, takes two step, looks uh, very come hither over her shoulder. And it's great. Luke is like, <laughs> these mad honeys, they can't get enough of the Lukester. Guess I got to follow the pointing of my boner now. <laughs> <laughs> so in saunters, Seth and Donnie. Yep. And Donnie's friends, right? And Donnie brings a few friends. Donnie brings, I want to say, two or three guys that are also from Long Beach. Are you referring to say hello to my little friend? (laughs) Well, that happens too. But no, he brings like two or three guys. Okay. Uh, And if I remember properly, when they're at the restaurant talking about it, Seth's like, eh, you know, it's going to be pretty boring. It's just be a bunch of Newport kids. And Donnie's like, he says something like, you got to make your own fun or something like that, Uh right? Like, you got to make life fun or something like that. He says, well, bring some of my boys. And uh, he says, we'll drink their booze. We'll mack on their mad honeys. We'll have a good time. (laughs) Right? It is all about the mad honeys. Would a mad honey by other by any other name be macked on? <laughs> <laughs> so, shit. But okay, so yeah. they're they're in this party. They're macking on the honeys, <laughs> but also Donnie shows up with a gun. Dun dun dun. And it is the shortest distance, I think, in this show's history from Chekhov's gun to the gun going off. It's like three 
scenes later, yeah. perhaps. Yeah. But there's also this very strange scene in between. Um, Donnie is in the kitchen as someone is throwing raisins at him. Pretzels? Pretzels, something. And it's just, it's very out of place. That's one of his buddies that he brought. Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes more sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're having a good time. They're joshing around. They're horsing about. There's a fair amount of horseplay happening. And Um, then they drink too much and knock over a blender. Yeah, and it's at that point, what's her name? Farrah Fawcett. Farrah Fawcett. Farrah Fawcett, in what might possibly be some fourth wave feminism, is definitively macking on Luke. I mean, there's significant (laughs) macking going on. Oh, sweet. I almost got a spit take out of you. I was really, I'm really proud of that. It's very feminist. (laughs) She's like, she's, she's like any, anyone can be a mad honey, regardless of gender, regardless of representation. Really? The mad honey is the journey we made along the way. <laughs> Wait, what? The friends we made along the way is how that normally goes. But I take your meaning, but she's also like... She hears the... Yeah, sorry. She hears the breaking of the blender, and she's like, my property. That sounded expensive. How am I going to blend my margaritas if my blender is broken? And it's great, because she's like, Ugh, I have to go downstairs. And Luke is like, oh, I guess... I got, I'll be I'll be a few minutes behind you. And is it? Are we led to believe? Are we meant to interpret that as Luke needs to rub one out fast? Hundo P. Okay, I'm glad I'm not the only sicko that was like Luke's got massive blue balls right now, and he absolutely needs he needs to he needs to take care of some bit. He needs to mack on the honey within, <laughs> right? He needs to get acquainted with his inner mad honey. And Mac, he needs to Jack Mac upon the, the mad honey. He needs to Jack Mac in the Jack Shack. Yeah. Shout out to Weiger. So, Shout out to Weiger. So, um, Fair Fawcett gets downstairs first. She's like, what the fuck is going on? That's my blender. Donnie's like, hey, don't worry about it, sweetie pie. I cannot but notice that your hair is extremely feathered. Why don't two birds of a feather fair faucet together? You're pretty fly. Oh, yeah. Do you remember when he hits on Summer? And Summer's like, you're the busboy. Yeah. So it's pretty obvious, again, people at this party. It's like they can sniff your socioeconomic, like, situation. Mm -hmm. These fucking Newport kids. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, and I'm pretty sure this was intentional casting on their part, literally the only actor of color was one of the people that came with Donnie. Otherwise, this entire party is exotorahimally white. Are we going to have to have a people of color account? Shit, it would be fucking low. I'll yeah. tell you that much. Uh huh. Episode five. We're in the. We're on one hand. I'm pretty sure <laughs> in this fucking show. <laughs> Certainly nobody in Cotillion. I'll tell you that much. Absolutely not. So. The blender is broken. There is a kerfuffle. Luke comes downstairs, wet spot on his pants. Uh Uh-huh. Maybe a little bit of extra baby goo rubbed into his hair for good effect. Yep. And he's like, what's going on here? What's all the, what's all the hubbub about? (laughs) What's? 
And there's the general male posturing that has become a hallmark of this series. The menfolk like to puff up their little peacock chests and kind of rub against each other and go, no, I am the bigger peacock. No, I am the bigger peacock, except... Except, okay, but I also really love that the male posturing in these shows necessitates that their faces get kissably close Mm -hmm. every single time everyone should just make out every single time it should end with them kissing passionately or even gently you know just like a soft tentative playful (laughs) like a exploratory yeah like you know just scouting each other out you know yeah what's it like to kiss somebody with stubble what's it like What's it like to smell aftershave instead of perfume, you know? <laughs> yeah, like really learning about yourself, learning about the other person. But it never turns out like that. No, no. Disappointing every time. Then generally it pivots to gay panic. <laughs> You're right. Um, so the difference in this peacocking is <laughs> Donnie... I'm desperately trying to keep us on track here. We're an hour and 13 minutes in, and we still have, like... You did this, Steve! You did it! (laughs) Donnie has a gun, okay? (laughs) What we're trying to say is Donnie has a gun. Donnie pulls out the gun. Donnie's got a gun. Exactly. Donnie... He's like, oh, the tables have turned now, buddy! (laughs) Is what he says, I think, verbatim. Yeah. I don't recall that, but I believe you. Um, Donnie has a gun. It There is a struggle for the gun. It goes off. And ah, wait, mm-hmm. wait, we skipped wait. an important part. Okay. We skipped an important part. What's the part? Okay. Tell me about okay. it. Okay. We were Chekhov'd and understanding that a gun is at the party. Mm-hmm. Okay. Seth, quite reasonably, recognizes that this could turn into une situation, right? Mm-hmm. And calls who? Ryan. Where is Ryan? Ryan is on a date with Marissa where he is making unforgivable grilled cheese sandwiches. (laughs) By which I mean they're absolutely on whole wheat bread. And that shit is unacceptable. (laughs) Yo, we'll give him this. At least they're not open face. The worst grilled cheese sandwiches I've ever had in my entire life. There used to be this little cafe called the Z Cafe. It was, I want to say, on the north side of Milwaukee. And we used to eat there sometimes as a family. Are you doxing our location? And the, it hasn't been, oh my God, it hasn't been open for years and years and years, the Z Cafe. Um, this is the 1987, 1988, maybe, okay. we used to eat there. Um, and I always, I was not, I, as, as a kid, I did not have great retention of things. I've... Pretty ridiculous ADHD and a short memory to begin with beyond that. So as a kid, I've always, just period my whole life, I've always loved grilled cheeses, right? Uh I mean, this is fucking Wisconsin. What am I going to do? Not eat grilled cheese? No, I'm going to eat cheese with every meal and I'm going to grill it whenever I can, right? So I'd always get a grilled cheese. Uh, When we go to the Star of Burleigh, this great little cafe on Burleigh, which I'm pretty sure is also closed now, uh, they did a fantastic grilled cheese. I always forgot that the Z Cafe did all of their grilled cheeses open face. Why the fuck would you do that? That doesn't make a damn lick of sense. It made no sense to me then. It certainly doesn't make sense to me now as an adult who sometimes enjoys an open face tuna fish sandwich when you make them. You know, that kind of thing. But like, open face grilled cheese? What kind of a choice is that to make? I have literally nothing to add to this. <laughs> 
And to serve to a child. Digression down memory lane. We're back at the party. Okay, sorry. I could keep going. But no, we're actually still at their date. He's making them grilled cheese sandwiches. And... He gets a call saying... No, they're in the pool. Oh, they're in the pool. They're having some... They're fun. They're having a great little cute date. They're sitting on the... The sexual tension is... Cuttable with a knife. Are they standing by the pool? Or they're sitting, sitting in the pool. They're they're sitting they're sitting by the pool. Yeah. Uh, they're both looking really cute. They've both got cute little date clothes on. They're both looking very adorable. Uh, they're sitting by the pool. They're having a really nice moment. Ryan's like, "Are you okay?" And she's really being very open and vulnerable. She's like, "I you know I I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen to my dad." I don't know what's going to happen with my mom. I don't know what's going to happen with us. And that makes perfect sense. And it's a really nice moment shared between these two people who, who, to this point, have not had a chance to really connect with one another because shit is always happening. Mm -hmm. Shit is always fucking happening in the goddamn Newport. And this is a wonderful moment where Marissa gets to be honest and herself. And you can tell that she feels safe. She feels safe with Ryan and she feels like she can express herself and and open up to him a little bit. And Ryan's like, hey, let's have some fun. Right. He and does the perfect thing. See here he says, let's have some fun. And she's like, and he's like, no, but let's have some fun. Do you have fun? And then he proceeds to start tickling her. And I just want to say that I have read so much about Nickelodeon and Dan Schneider this week (laughs) that at that scene, I was absolutely convinced that someone on the staff has had a tickle fetish and the internet has poisoned my brain. Well, he doesn't tickle her. He did tickle her. No, this is what he did. He says, let's have some fun. And he motions to go inside, right? And she's like, eh, what do you mean by fun, right? And he's like, well, you know, yeah, let's let's go and have some fun. And I'm assuming that his idea is to, like, go inside and, you know, play board games or something like that. Or I don't know. So, but what Settlers he does do, of Catan. Well, yes, perfect. The expansion. Uh, one of the expansions. There's so many of them. So, what he does is he's going to help her stand up. But he does, a, he does a, like, he, he, like, he gently holds her shoulders. And he's like, ah, I'm going to push you in. And she's like, no, no. And then what he does is stop because she said no, which is fucking great. Just a, just a silly little thing like that. She's like, no, I don't want to be pushed in. And he's like, oh, okay, then I won't push you in. I saw a tickling. So she's like, okay. And then she stands up and then she turns the tables on him in a really cute little thing. And she's like, I'm going to push you in. And he goes, oh, you're coming with me. And then they're both in the pool in their clothes. And then they start swimming around and they're splashing. But they're also having some sort of intimate eye contact. Yes. Oh, my God. And that's when the phone rings? Yes. yes. So, no, okay. What happens is after no, that, get, then we come back the to water. the party. Yeah. They, we come back to the party. Uh, shit starts to get real. The gun is revealed. Um, Ryan calls... Uh, sorry, Seth calls Ryan before... Um, yes, okay. Um, the gun is revealed. Then we go back to uh, Marissa is in her wet clothes and she's shivering like a little newborn fawn. And she's like, oh, I'm so chilly. And Ryan is uh, running and he's got big fluffy towels. And she's like... Um, he's like, oh, I can, you've got goose pimples. And she's like, yeah, I'm so cold. Oh, and he's like, he wraps the (laughs) towel around her and he's with his, with his, his masculine arms. And she just feels so small. 
And he starts doing the thing where he's like rubbing her arms to get her warm, right? Uh-huh. And she's absolutely getting warm, if you can tell what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> she's warm in her lady boner let's purse. Just say, let's just say there's a war crime tribunal in her Hague right now. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Yeah. And that way I know where the Hague is. How long were you holding on to that one? The Hague is in the Netherlands. Oh, oh God damn it. Bing, bang, boom. So, and that. No, but really, how long were you holding on to that I one? literally just came up with it. I'm All really right. pleased with that. All right. Like, I'm super pleased with that. Okay. Um, I'm going to start using that colloquially, though, because um, I'm so proud of it. And then I'll, I'll say it way too often and really run it into the ground. <laughs> Never. I'll, st- you? <laughs> I'll start using it at really inappropriate times when it contextually makes no sense, right? I'm like, I'll have, a, I'll have a, like a nice bite of cereal, and I'll be like, oh, this is just like a war tribunal in my Hague. <laughs> and people will be like, dude, it wasn't even funny the first time you said it. Okay, so, so this happens. Here's this- the fucking cock block phone call. Yep. They're, they are, their noses are just touching. They're about to kiss, and fucking Seth calls. It says, hey, no, for real, honestly, there's a gun here. Um, it's really serious. I would not have called if it wasn't serious. Please come and help me out. So, I mean, I paused the show at this point and said to Evan, you didn't think they were going to get together that easily, did you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Ryan rushes off to the party and their second date is interrupted Low. Again. Yep. Low these many times. Low these many times. And um is Luke shot at this point or does no. he get shot no. when Ryan shows so up? So what happens is uh Luke comes down, um furious boner. Deflated um, boner. Right. Um, he's like, what the fuck's happening? Uh, they get so close that they could, should kiss and they don't to the disappointment of all viewers. Uh, then Donnie pulls the gun and is like, oh, oh, now the balance of power has changed a little bit now that I have a firearm. And everyone's like, whoa, shit just got really real suddenly. Uh, and Luke is like, Luke is like apologizing and is like, hey, man, I'm sorry. Right. And because this is only 2003 and we have we are minus several thousand mass shootings at this point. Yeah. It's only a handgun. Yeah. It's not an AK. Yeah. It's not like an AR-15 or right. like a fucking grenade launcher or anything right. like that. Um, Small blessings. Shit gets very real. It is at this time Ryan very timely uh, arrives and is like, "Hey, Donnie." And Donnie is like, "Hey, my bu- my buddy Ryan is here." And Luke is like, "I should have known trash like you would hang out with garbage like him." And Donnie's like, "What did you fucking call me? What did you fucking call my best friend Ryan over here? Who's my best friend?" And there is aforementioned peacocking, but with a gun. Yeah. And this is what I mean. You could call when it gun I say cocking. this episode. I'm ignoring that. <laughs> When I say this episode is emblematic of fucking around and finding out, this is what I mean. So Ryan's like, put the gun down, and uh, Donnie's like, Donnie makes some really good points, which is, you know, like, it's not, his his argument is, you know, diminished a bit because he is brandishing a firearm at, you know, at, at, at ostensibly a, 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 you know, an innocent person, but he's like. And a large group of teens. Yeah. And he's like, Ryan, aren't you sick of these people? Aren't you sick of the way they treat you? Aren't you sick of the way they talk to you? Aren't you sick of them treating you like trash? 
And as the viewer, I'm like, yes, <laughs> I absolutely am. I'm totally sick of them constantly dehumanizing Ryan, ignoring Ryan, just blatantly uh, never listening to the things that Ryan knows are good for him. Mm -hmm. I'm absolutely sick of it. However, maybe shooting Luke isn't the answer. I don't know. Mm. But anyway, Ryan rests the gun away uh, in the struggle. The gun, of course, goes off. Uh, Luke has been hit in the arm. Uh, Donnie and his friends make good their escape. And the next scene, we're in the hospital. So that's basically the culmination of the teen plot, except for Ryan calls Marissa to show up at the hospital to kind of tend to Luke. And again, this is a mirror of the Cotillion episode where she ends up ultimately choosing Luke. I would argue that in Cotillion, she chooses herself. And she spent a little time of this follow-up episode. Okay, no, no, no. I didn't mean Cotillion. I meant the 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 um, casino. Oh, episode. casino. Yeah. yeah, it's an absolute perfect mirroring of of the gamble episode three. Episode three. Episode three, the gamble. Um, yeah. Episode four, she was kind of choosing herself. The beginning of this episode, she was toying with the idea of pursuing a relationship with Ryan, which the viewers and Seth. Sat, you know, the, the viewership is loath to recognize that we agree with Seth and we would like them to get together. But like you said quite wisely, Sarah, the makers of the show, the producers and the writers are not going to give us that. They're not going to give us that lick of that brass ring just yet. Not no. so soon. Will They, Won't They has been around since the dawn of time. What would be the first historical Will They, Won't They? Adam and Adam. Jesus and Mary Magdalene. <laughs> There's probably some, like, epic of Gilgamesh or something like that that's yes. like, oh, my God. Was it? Oh, no, that would have been Neo-Pagan. Like, that would have, or not Neo-Pagan. Be Beowulf was after Christ, was it? Sure. Technically? I guess. Whatever. History is fake. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually, I don't actually think that. Do I? I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> so that's the conclusion of the teen plot for now. Oh, yeah. Marissa comes. <clears throat> Ryan says, should I stick around for you? And she goes, no, I'm going to spend some time with Luke. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. Seth uh, takes Ryan back. And um, this is, for me at least, I feel completely vindicated and validated in my interpretation of all of Seth's actions and his motivations because... When he and Ryan are sitting in the hospital waiting room and Ryan has been gently rejected by Marissa in favor of Luke, Seth says, this is why you and I need to stick together. Because when we get separated and Ryan finishes the thought for him, there's a gun. People get shot. People get shot. And you can see the little twinkle in Seth's eye goes i taught you a lesson boy don't you dare disobey me again that's what seth is thinking seth is thinking don't you dare try and get other friends don't you dare get aspirations of ever leaving me you're a cohen now you're mine wow <laughs> 
I just think my reading of that scene was Seth is a comic book nerd <laughs> who wanted an opportunity to make a cool speech like that. And I think we talked a couple episodes ago about the, like, realisticness of the relationship between Seth and Ryan. I think it is becoming more genuine. Mm. And listen, again... We hate Seth. <laughs> I love the reassuring tone. But I'm not giving him the measure of Machiavellian control that you were assigning to him. I think he's just a fucking, I think he's just like a clueless little douche. He's not little. A clueless, long torso douche. <laughs> Who wants a Adventures of Cavalier and Clay type situation in his relationship with Ryan. And that's the dream of lonely boys everywhere. I suppose. Yeah, and also I'm disappointed by Seth further in this episode because he continues to pursue Summer. We thought maybe there was some character growth in the gamble. No, not no. really. We thought there was potentially some character growth in Cotillion because he was kind of interested in that one mad honey. No, still not there. Still interested in Summer for some fucking reason. I mean, she won't put a shirt on. She refuses to put a shirt on. Or rather, we should say the male producers of this show refuse to give this girl a shirt in this fucking Newport. I think the only reason every female protagonist in this show is not in a bra slash bikini top all of the time is because Misha Barton was literally underage. (laughs) If this show was remade for HBO Max in 2022, they'd all just be topless. Just at all times, nipples out. Just kidding. they'd be they'd be trying to do like a Game of Thrones thing where it's just full frontal the entire time. It's just full frontal and heroin. <laughs> All right, yeah. Replace re- replace rolling rocks with black tar heroin in every fucking scene. <laughs> so you're right. That's the conclusion of the storyline with the kids in this episode. The adult storyline conclusion is Julie essentially confirms the idea that she is not gonna stay with Jimmy. If he doesn't have any money. We're left with some ambiguity there, aren't we? So they have a... Well, okay, this is a good question. It's the talking point that I can bring up. So, okay, there's uh, two scenes that I want to talk about. Okay. When when the ladies are coming back from their trip, the last two to be dropped off by the truly enormous stretch hummer is, uh, of course, uh, Kirstie and Julie. Uh, Kirstie. (laughs) Kirstie Allen and Julie. No, Kirsten and Julie. Uh, Kirsten apologizes, right? Mm-hmm. She's like, sorry, uh, you know, I, I, I shouldn't have said what I said when we were in the sauna. I spoke out of turn. It's not my place, right? Um, but she is still going to bat for Jimmy, you know, and she's like, you're not really going to divorce him, are you? And it's a really, it's another moment of honesty from a character in the show, uh, you know, one-on-one with somebody else. Julie explains, she comes clean that she's always been jealous of Kirsten since she was eight, Right. Uh, they both grew up there. She didn't grow up there. Oh, no, that's right. But she knew of Kirsten because yeah. she's been jealous of her her whole life. It feels like a contrivance. It feels like a, uh, what's the word I want here? It was shoehorned into this speech for the sake of continuity with the current character. I mean, shoehorned or not, it does make sense. It's consistent with what we know of them. But also shoehorned. Sure. 
But you can have a consistent shoehorn, right? Can you? That's the best kind. You felt like a really inconsistent shoehorn is going to get your foot in the shoe half the time or less, you know? That's a shoehorn you throw out. It's fine. Keep going. <laughs> so they're in the stretch hover. And Julie's like, I've always been jealous of you. You were the, you're, let's face facts, you're the richest girl in Newport. You always have been. Um, there was another really good moment between Jimmy and Sandy. Jimmy makes the excellent point that Sandy really is not, you know, he's obviously not the breadwinner for their family. And he says, you don't really know what it means. He said, so, he said essentially what we said in episode one or two that was like, Sandy, you could lose your job and Kirsten would never know. <laughs> but, but he also makes a really important point. Sandy makes the good point. The point is that being there for your children financially is not the only way that you can be there for your children. Yeah. He's like, don't you want to be there to see your kids graduate? Don't you want to be there for the moments of your family's life going forward? The way to do that is not to go to prison. To see Caitlin grow up, who allegedly exists. <laughs> yeah, we should really do also a count of how many episodes Caitlin is in, period. Because <laughs> she's really not. Oh, wait for it. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah. So, this is a great moment. Julie's like, you know, I, I used to... What did she say? She said, I used to look in the windows of stretch limousines to see who was inside. And now that I'm the one on the inside, I don't want to go back to that. She said, I don't want to go back to being a nobody. And that's a totally legitimate fear um, because she came from nothing. And she she says something like, I lucked out. Really, if you think about it, we all come from nothing and we return to nothing. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I didn't sign up to contemplate my own mortality on a podcast. This was the teen goth portion of this podcast. <laughs> of this episode. Look, I just finished the Sandman. What do you want? Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Etc. Um Womb to tomb. Oh my god. <laughs> um I've completely lost my train of thought because <laughs> now I'm like, we're all gonna die someday. So no, Julian Kirsten, yes, they have a moment. Um and Kirsten's like, you're really not going to leave him, are you? So we go to the we go to the moment with Julie and Jimmy. Uh, Julie's back. Oh, God. I love the very first thing she says is, did you win the lottery? Like, it's so telling of her motivations. Yeah. Um, which, again, very consistent with her character as we've as we've been introduced to her so far. Um, Jimmy's like, you know, do you want to stand? Do you want to sit? Because you have. You have some options here. And he explains exactly what they are. We can start from zero. We can sell the house. We can sell our shares. But we can stay together. Or we can declare bankruptcy. You and the girls can keep the house. And I'll see you in about eight to ten years. And she doesn't say anything, does she? No. Yeah, we just kind of see her face. So it's left ambiguous. And I, for one, am really curious to see what's going to happen there. They've hooked me. I didn't think I was going to get into this show. I thought this podcast was going to be silly. And, like, I thought this podcast was going to be me, like, resignedly watching these episodes with you. You love this show. It's hooked me. I'm like a trout. I got the hook in my gill. And I'm like, (laughs) 
Take me along for the ride. Take me along for the terrible acting and the <laughs> flicking your eyes and the <laughs> the chokers and the low rise jeans and the self deprecating jokes about the wife beaters. Yeah. Yep. 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 So this is where we are. You have? Uh, do you have more notes? Um, let me see. Let's take a let's take a peek here. Okay. Some odds and ends. Some notes that I have are second rolling rock placement of the series. <laughs> it is at the teen party. It's at the teen party. Where they're drinking the rolling rock. The I end. love that they didn't take the opportunity for Jimmy and Sandy to have rolling rock. They're drinking generic cerveza. No, that is very calculated. Yeah. Because the adults aren't cool and they don't oh get a cool beer brand. They want Holy you to know. Holy shit, is that a dig at Corona? Is Rolling Rock specifically in competition with... Okay, now I gotta look it up. I don't actually know, but... I'm not looking it up. I'm not looking it up. I don't care. Corona is delightful with a lime. I maintain this. <laughs> Excuse me. Cerveza <laughs> is delightful with a lime. So, Rolling Rock is obviously what they want all the teens to drink. Fascinating. I didn't even think of that. There is no gay panic in this episode that we could clock, but there is a plethora of classism panic, which we have been over in great detail. Oh, yeah. And the uncensored version of Let's Get It Started. We also discussed that. My last note says, I think Rosa is dot, 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 gone. <laughs> is right? Is Rosa dead? What's happening here? But there is a discussion of one of the ladies on the housewives retreat paying her Guatemalan family who cleans her house less than minimum wage. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And you know, I did wonder at that point, like, Kirsten, don't you have a Rosa who never gets to talk? <laughs> we'll be cute. Rosa stands. Stick around to see if she comes back in episode six. We sure the fuck don't know. <laughs> okay, episode MVP. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Um, can we start with villains? Sure. Seth. <laughs> Not the guy who brought the gun no, to the party? No, absolutely not. No? Seth. <laughs> Seth, 100%. Like I said, he wants to be Machiavelli the prince. He wants to keep Ryan subservient to him. He wants to keep him under lock and key, under constant surveillance to make sure that his in to high society, his in to all the cool kids functions doesn't fly away and grow wings of its own. He wants to keep, he wants to keep Ryan's flight feathers clipped so that he wants to keep him on a short leash. He wants to keep him tightly, tightly clenched. That's not a thing. No, uh, that's a uh, Seth. Seth is my villain. A hundred percent. Um, I have no, no reason to believe otherwise. I get where you're trying to say that some of Seth's motivations were genuine uh, because he actually might like Ryan or he might like Marissa or he might think that they're actually a good fit and he might like to see them happy together. He certainly doesn't like Luke. So even if we're even if we're saying that his motivations were genuine, they don't necessarily have to be as nefarious as I'm saying they are. They could be just as simple as he doesn't like Luke and he doesn't want to see Marissa with Luke because Luke's an asshole. My guy... Seth is a teen boy written by 30-year-old men <laughs> and probably at least one woman in the writer's room 
because 2003 diversity. <laughs> I think that the things that you are ascribing to Seth are way more complex than the show, you know, wants us to think about. I don't think it's that deep. That being said, my villain is Donnie because you don't bring a gun to a party. Your villain is Donnie? He brings a gun to a party. That just seems so obvious. I don't know. Sometimes the villain is obvious and it's the person who brought a gun to a party. Not even like Julie? No. No? No. But Julie is so... Evan, it's a literal gun at a party that gets threatened. <laughs> it would be one thing yes, if he, he was like, somebody. yes, he shoots someone. <laughs> Couldn't we argue that this is an allegory for class struggle? No. <laughs> I heard you many other things in this episode could be allegories for class struggle and we have talked about most of them. <laughs> Scrub your podcast player back to maybe like a half hour earlier in this episode. I don't actually know the timestamp. <laughs> but God bringing a gun yeah. to a party is not an allegory. It is a gun <laughs> at a party. Okay, you 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 you're entitled to your own to, you're entitled to your own villain. Oh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for I'm sorry for trying to influence your decision. My god. You're right. He shot somebody. <laughs> he shot somebody. <laughs> I still stand by Seth. For me, I still stand by Seth. MVP. You go with your MVP first. I'm curious. Sandy. Explain. Sandy has opted to represent his sworn enemy mm -hmm. in the mm -hmm. anime sense, Jimmy. <laughs> Sandy uh, makes the point that fathers should be there emotionally for their children mm -hmm. and not just perceived as the breadwinner. Mm -hmm. Sandy continues to have the best eyebrows. <laughs> no contest. Who tastes the no, serve? No one's bringing any eyebrow game to this fucking show but Sandy. The eyebrows drink their cerveza. <laughs> it's Sandy. You're valid. Yeah, no, totally valid. Um, I'm honestly struggling with this one. Um, there is you some tell. well okay so when i'm choosing my hero slash mvp which have we decided to lump those two things together yes okay so when i'm choosing my hero slash mvp i usually like to lean on the character in whom i saw the most agency you know hercules hercules <laughs> I, I i try to lean on the person that I saw as sort of pushing the story forward, you know, uh -huh. right. The definition of protagonist that I used in episode four or something. Uh -huh. um, the wrong definition. Yeah, exactly. That yep. one. Okay. Um, what did I say? Iago was the, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Uh, and I'm talking about Iago from Aladdin. Uh, he's absolutely <laughs> the hero of that. Um, rest in power, Gilbert Gottfried, but may his memory be a blessing. So this is, this is a difficult episode for me to do that because so much of what everyone does is reactionary. Does that make any sense? Like a lot of people are responding I think the to word stimuli. You, I think the word you want is reactive. Reactive, thank yeah. you. Not reactionary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody's a Nazi yet. Um, at least not textually. Seth is probably a Nazi. He's probably a Nazi. But he's <laughs> he's Jewish. <laughs> 
Seth would absolutely be in favor of the Zionist apartheid state against Palestine. So I'm going to say that's text. But anyway. Um, so I'm having a hard time because it really does seem like this episode, people are reeling from the events of um, the Challenger, right? Mm-hmm. And that's totally understandable. Jimmy's licking his wounds and trying to figure out what the fuck he's going to do with his life. I don't want to just piggyback on your MVP and say Sandy, but he's really the most proactive person in this episode. You're totally right. And he displays a great deal of personal growth because not only does he reach out a helping hand to his sworn enemy, he actually takes time to bond with him. He takes time to Mm -hmm. listen to his concerns, to share a moment together that other people might have felt really awkward about. They golf after the scene where they both admit they are in love with Kirsten Uh and that the year they met Kirsten in their life is still the year they recognize as the best year of their lives. Which we don't understand, but we've already been over that. We've already been over that. So, like, I just think I have to say, like, part of me wants to say Ryan because at least he also takes the initiative. Ryan takes the initiative to try and actually form a relationship with um, with Marissa, right? Uh-huh. Uh, he he sucks it up, and he's not going to do the coy thing. He's not going to be, a, you know, he's not going to play this coquettish. He's going to say, "I'm asking you out. Would you be cool with that?" Um, I really like their little date scene. I thought it was really cute and charming. He continues to be self-aware in a way that teenage <laughs> boys are not able to approximate after until they have had at least two therapists and they're thirty-five. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, He's a Mary Sue. Yeah! (laughs) Holy shit, he is! Well done! Yeah, you clocked that 100%. For me, it's a a toss-up between Ryan and Sandy, but I think I gotta give it to Sandy. Yeah. Because if the only thing that would have potentially given it to Ryan... But Ryan takes... (gasps) What? Ryan returns the favor. Luke dragged Ryan out of a burning building... Ryan puts pressure on the gun wound and gets him to the hospital. They've now sort of tit for tat saved each other's lives, which I didn't even think of until just now. That's extremely Shakespearean. They should make out. They should, goddammit! It would be amazing! (laughs) Their little fucking puka shell necklaces clacking against each other as they run their hands through each other's sandy hair. It would be great! The hair is not sandy. There is so much hairspray involved in (laughs) maintaining that. You don't even know. Their cans crinkling through each other's pokey hair. All right. Okay. Yeah, Sandy's my MVP. Good. My co-host. Yes, my wife. It has been one hour (laughs) and 47 minutes of this. Have we been through everything that we want to get through? Let's see. We've we've touched on class struggle. We've touched on don't bring a gun to a party. Literally Um, don't bring a gun to a party. Unless it's a water gun. That could be fun. I'll say this. This This is my next thing. There's a few delicious cliffhangers that we left on. I'm very curious to see what happens with Julie and Jimmy. Um, if they are forced to sell the house, that will remove Marissa as um, as at least a convenient love interest geographically. But Newport isn't huge. Fuck, they might not be able to live in Newport. Here, that's all I'm going to say. I'm going to say I'm hooked. Uh, I'm absolutely hooked. 
I'm super glad that I get to watch this show with you. I'm glad I get to experience it for the first time with you as a context of the larger show. And I'm super stoked that we uh, that we get to talk uh, talk about it to five people in Belgium. Same. California, Sarah. California, Evan. You just listened to Orange You Glad We Watched the OC. Recorded in Guest Bedroom Studios. Hosted by Sarah and Evan. Original concept and questions by Sarah. Recorded by Evan. Edited by Evan. Uploaded by Sarah. Please give us as many stars as the platform you're listening to this on will allow you to give us. Copyright 2022.